Welcome to the Combat Learjet podcast. I am joined tonight by Steve from Combat Learjet and Mike Wagner from Mike Wagner on Instagram. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Thanks. Yeah, I yeah, appreciate you coming on, Mike. So uh, thanks uh, thanks a lot for jumping in here. I know it was kind of short notice for you, but... Uh, hey, no problem. I love being here. Yeah, it's great. And oh yeah, just a Pilot Wagner on Instagram and Mike Wagner on YouTube. You can find me at the, your place. So. Yeah, and I know, uh, I mean, we'll talk about, I want to talk about some of your videos and some of that stuff that you've done, because I know some of those have been super popular out there. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, so it's, uh, we're excited to be able to talk to you, and we're going to have a good time tonight. We're going to talk, uh, as I posted, we're also going to talk up different things, uh, chemtrails, uh, conspiracy theory type things, and uh, <laughs> maybe hit on 9-11 a little bit. So uh, it should be a, a fun podcast tonight. Mike, if you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into flying, and you know what I'd like to share today. Sure. Yeah, I was uh, I was just in college, and I just started flying on my own. Thought it would be something interesting to do, um, and ended up really, you know, kind of never stopping. So, <laughs> ended up uh, just kept flying, kept getting jobs, and kept getting hired places. And uh, you know, fly a corporate Falcon two thousand now. It's uh, it's a blast. Love doing it. And. Um, you know, it's given me some time to like do other stuff, like make videos and uh, you know manipulate media, mess with people. So it's it's a good time. Yeah, that's awesome. So you, so you started flying pretty early on in college. You said um, I was. I actually got my uh, like private license when I was like twenty three years old. So I was kind of a late starter, and uh, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I was like a junior in college at the time. I ended up with a degree in Japanese, which is kind of odd, but. Wow. So you know, it's, <laughs> I was totally not thinking about flying, but that's kind of where I ended up. So I'm happy with it. So kind of your roots, you just, uh, you know, got your private pilots and then moved on, got other ratings and. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, familiar. yeah, just, yeah, just get, I got my private license and then got my uh, instrument license and, you know, commercial CFI and work as a CFI. Then I flew a charter and then I got hired at the place I'm at and I've been there ever since. So. It's been a pretty, actually, from compared to what it could have been, what I've seen a lot of people go through, I've had it really, really easy. So, you know, I feel bad for like people who have been furloughed, that type of stuff. But I've uh, I've kind of, uh, <laughs> I don't know, just my timing's been really good for some reason, and I'm happy. So Yeah, that's something I'm learning in the whole aviation world is it's all about timing. Yeah, it is. I don't care how good or bad you are. If, if your timing's bad, it's just bad, and there's nothing you can do about it. So it is. And thankfully, right now is a good time to be a pilot. Most definitely. Great. Well, that's awesome. I know I first ran into you on Instagram. Um, I saw one of your videos out there. It, it is actually, uh, I sit around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you want to talk a little bit about that one? That That's just that was yeah. a great one. Yeah, that was the one that, uh, actually, I just did the uh, remade it. Because the first one just had, I just wasn't happy with it. So uh, it's the, uh, the one I just made. It's called I Sit Around Part Duh. It's basically the same. It's exactly the same song. Part de, you know, big fan. I like hot shots. Part de, yeah. but I, I did the, uh, I did just I reshot it kind of like when I first shot it. I was like, man, I, I see this in my head, but I wasn't really good with the software or anything, and I decided, hey, I, I'm gonna redo this and make this like what my vision kind of was because I can do it now, and uh, then, uh, and it just came out. I, I just put it out. It hasn't really done too much, but I'm actually really happy with the end product. So. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. And you had, what did your first one, how many views did that thing get on YouTube? Oh, on YouTube, it had like 317,000, but it had, 
but it, it was actually a like break.com and that had like i think a couple million views so that was kind of cool it made like national news and it was over in europe for a while it was kind wow. of freaky that's awesome uh, you, you did a really great job i mean it sounds i don't know and anybody that has done anybody that life i mean you know mm -hmm. the the fact that that's you do a lot of sitting around waiting on your passengers so mm -hmm. That's uh, that's why I appreciate that. Also, I've enjoyed some of the other ones you posted. Your selfies hanging out of the airplane on Instagram. I, oh, I yeah. absolutely love reading the comments on those posts. Oh man, like, that, that's Photoshop, man. <laughs> no way, that's Photoshop. Yeah, I know. I, I, it's funny. I mean, obviously, people are like, "Hey, is that possible?" Uh, no, not really. Yeah. Going to hang out of an airplane. Yeah, yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, I know that was just that was just something I had kind of in my head, and I was one day. Uh, Said, yeah, I got a little bit of spare time. I've got Photoshop. I'm just gonna put this together and had a nice little picture of Chicago in the background of it and put it together. Hey, that looks pretty good. So I didn't think it'd do what it did, but yeah, well, that was kind of funny. And it's some of your stuff. I'm impressed. I mean, it takes how how much time does it take you to do some of those videos? Like uh, uh, I spray my chemtrails at night. What? Oh man, what that one. That one. Yeah, uh, chemtrails at night was a monster. It was. Uh, it was where I actually kind of learned the uh, the software or whatever, and I had a whole well thing we can talk about in the later half if you'd like. But it was a uh, that that thing, uh, the song itself, putting the music together and performing the music and recording it and trying to get it to sound somewhat decent. Usually, I don't know, anywhere from eight to fifteen hours work. But then the video, I mean, I can't count the hundreds of hours I put in on chemtrails at night. So, wow. Yeah, well, definitely that's going to be part two when we get into the chemtrail. So we'll talk more <laughs> right. about that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we really appreciate you being on. We're going to talk a few different things. And then, like I said, we'll carry you over into the next session and we'll talk uh, awesome. we'll talk some more of the, the chemtrails. Yeah, uh, that's great. I just want to say, as I, uh, one, of, one of the ideas when we started putting this together, there's a lot of purposes for this podcast. Uh, we hope to, I said in my first couple, we take a lot of questions. I take a lot of questions on Instagram. How do I become a pilot? You know, what do I need to do? So from that standpoint, we always want to, we want to help folks do that. And uh, so I want to, you know, keep this as a platform to do that. In fact, one of, one of the things I was uh, talking about in the future is I'd like to have, maybe have a flight doc on from the military. I got some flight doc friends and we could discuss uh, medical issues that some people will and will not you know what the military will accept so that's that's something i'm working on in the future so if you have those kind of questions you know like we talked about in the past i you know i wear glasses or uh you know adhd all those kind of things i want to try to get you know legitimate answers out there for you guys so that's part of it another part that uh is part of my instagram as you followed is i enjoy having a good time i enjoy laughing and i also enjoy you know, teasing some of the conspiracy theorists. Uh, and they're so easy to tease. <laughs> yeah, and there's there's a lot of that. So this this program tonight is going to be dedicated a little bit more to that, um, and having a good time with it. We're not we're not wanting to be, you know, ugly and hateful to these folks, but it it's fun to talk about it, and we will discuss a few of them. So, and, and really, hopefully debunk some of the more popular ones. Yeah, I would at least like to give some some pilot perspective on some of this. Um, uh, in particular, the chemtrails, we'll talk about that. The the thing I that kind of really moved me to really want to do this was I posted yesterday, I did a 9-11 post, and it, it, it really uh, struck me at the comments of how many people believe that, you know, this was an inside job, that there was, you know, some kind of conspiracy theory behind that. So 
I, I want to just address that. Uh, it's one of those things that's it's very personal to me in that, and and we can talk a little bit about that. I don't have all the answers, obviously, and there's always questions out there. There's always, you know, things that you could ask, well, who was behind it? I, I don't know. I don't know all that stuff, but I would like to address a couple of those things. And I'd also like to maybe tell the story of kind of where I was when that went down and what happened. So I'll just begin by uh, the morning of September 11th, 2001, I was driving to work. I, I wasn't scheduled to fly that day. It was just an office day. So I was driving to work. I think I was uh, I was listening to something on the radio. It wasn't the news. I, I wasn't catching any of that at the time. I'll never forget, I parked my car and I walked into my squadron. And as soon as I walked in, they had the TV going and, and everybody was like glued to the TV. And uh, at this point, um, the first building had been struck. And I remember just, you know, nobody really knew what was going on. I think the first news reports were maybe it was a, a small airplane that had hit the building. And, you know, that's kind of my mindset initially is, you know, somebody just wasn't paying attention and hit one of these buildings. And uh, I remember as I'm sitting there, kind of sitting down in a chair going, nobody's really talking. You know, all the pilots in the squadron are just glued to the TV. I remember seeing on the news, they're live on the news, and I saw the second plane come in and hit. And, you know, and at that point, everybody was just, as I'm sure the world was, gasped and realized, oh, my gosh, there's, this is something bigger than that. And then about this time, you started hearing reports of, uh, you know, the Pentagon and some of that. Without retelling that entire story, I, we were all sitting around and the commander walked in and he said, I want everybody to go home and get into crew rest. So he was, he was wise enough to know that in the military, we have to be put into crew rest. We need a minimum of uh, 12 hours of crew rest before we can come back and fly. So since I was already in there, there was no missions dropping at that moment. There was nothing that we could do at that moment. So they sent us home uh, and put us into crew rest and told us to stand by the phone, be ready to go at 12 hours. And sure enough, I think I got a call about 12 hours later, late, really late the September 11th, uh, early on September 12th, said, hey, we need you to come in. We've got a mission for you. I came in, we got spun up, and another crew had actually flown through the night, went out to California. They picked up some engineers, uh, brought them back to our base there in Colorado Springs. And then me and the other pilot came in to, because they had run out of crew duty day, um, we, we picked them up and we pressed on. So our mission was to fly, I think there's five or six of them, um, to Newark, uh, New York City. So uh, on September 12th, I, I headed to New York City. And I'll never forget it. We took off out of Colorado Springs. Sun wasn't up yet. And right as we, uh, tower switched us to departure, and I think departure uh, cleared us direct to Newark, which is in the flying world's unheard of. You usually have a, you know, a handful of fixes that you're going to go to between there. But everybody had stopped flying. Uh, the the entire uh, all airplanes were grounded at that at that time because we just didn't know if there was others out there. So this was a weird, very unusual time for me to take off at a time that there was nobody else flying. And uh, we took off. I got to Kansas City Center, which is one of the largest centers in the nation. And the controller told me, he said, you're the only one uh, I'm controlling, which was strange. Obviously, they're, normally they have 
you know, hundreds, if not thousands of airplanes are controlling. And we ended up having a conversation just like we're having right here, talking on the radio all the way across Kansas City Center, uh, you know, just asking questions, um, what he thought, what I thought. And uh, it was it was just surreal, actually. Somewhere past Kansas City Center, we got uh, we got a call and they asked us if we were going to be uh, intercepted by a fighter to verify who we were. So. At that point, a F-16, I'm assuming, intercepted us. We never saw them. It was a uh, it was a ghost intercept where they just are back there. They see you, but they obviously don't want you to see them. And um, that actually happened uh, two separate times across the country as as different planes just made sure who we were. And they were obviously at this point we have a few fighters up, making sure nothing's going to go on. Um, I remember coming in to beginning the descent into uh, uh, Newark, and I would say in the mid to high teens, maybe low 20s, there was a debris layer from uh, the towers that you could see. And obviously the sun's up at this point. And I just, me and the other pilot, I remember talking about it saying, you know, that's that's debris from the, from the fallen buildings. And anyway, long story short, we ended up getting in there. We landed, we got the engineers. We were able to talk to them a little bit. And they're their primary job, at least that they thought at the time, was to go in and analyze the other buildings around the Trade Center that they felt like were going to be structurally uh, compromised due to, you know, all that debris coming down. And as we know, uh, Tower 7, I think it came down something like seven hours after the first two towers. So they were concerned that more of that was going to go on. So we dropped them off. We got gas. And, you know, we went in to the FBO there at Newark. And again, it was just nobody was moving. Nobody was on the ramp. Nobody was taxiing. So it was like we had the entire airfield to ourselves. So we did, you know, we taxied however. Obviously, we still talked to everybody, but everybody was like, taxi however you want to get there. You know, nobody else is, is moving. So uh, we did that. And over the next several days, our, our, our unit flew multiple missions. Uh, different places, but primarily in and out of uh, New York. And we also went in and out of uh, Andrews too, because of the Pentagon. So, so we were pretty involved in that, uh, that time frame. And I just remember thinking back then that our whole world had changed and, and it had, and I didn't realize really what that looked like, but I would say on the backside of that, most of the deployments that I went on, most of the missions I flew overseas was uh, in, a direct response to September 11th. So that kind of ties me into the whole, I guess where it becomes a little bit more personal for me is the fact that pretty much my entire career, everything I've done, the missions I've flown, plus all the people that I know that have fought and given the ultimate sacrifice has been in response to what happened on that day. So I, I, I take it personal, I guess, from the standpoint of I feel like to say this was an inside job, we did it to ourselves so we could go to war just seems ludicrous to me. And, you know, I've done I've done some of the research that I that they talk about and see that. So uh, that's kind of the background of where I got, how I got there, and then maybe why it's more personal to me than not. But uh, I would say most of your military folks probably uh, feel similar that, the, you know, this is something we fought for and people have died for. So. Uh, to kind of think of it as it was an inside job just to get us into a war so we could get some oil and have 
make money is so, some oil that we ultimately just gave back yeah that we didn't even keep from iraq so so that's that's kind of where i come from um maybe talk about a couple of the uh the known conspiracy theories with 9-11 and i'll at least give my two cents on it again i'm not an expert in any of these if there's some questions on that maybe we can field some of that you know i would say the one thing that i hear more often than not and it's just this constant phrase that people like to throw out and i see it on my page and i saw it yesterday on my post a lot is that jet fuel cannot melt steel and what they're getting at is that the the temperature that jet fuel typically burns at i mean obviously it varies but it burns at around 800 degrees to and i even wrote this down i had to make sure 800 to 1500 degrees Steel melts at about 2,800 degrees, 2,700 and some odd degrees. So by using that logic, the fire would never have got hot enough to melt the steel beams in the World Trade Center. However, there's a great, uh, I saw it on Instagram, some, uh, it was kind of like a redneck page and he's like, hey, let me demonstrate how this works. And he was a metal worker. He took a big, thick, like a three inch steel I bar. Beam. Yeah, and he put it in a vise. And he heated it up until it got red hot, but it's not melted, obviously. And then he reached over with the glove on and just bent, bent that I-beam straight over. So that is the issue, I think, is that they figure the temperature from the fire and the airplane hitting the building probably was around 1,800 degrees. And how did it get above jet fuel? Well, obviously, the building's on fire. Now we have office supplies and furniture and everything else is on fire. So they, they figured that the temperature was around that. And doing some research on metal, they figured at around, uh, around 1,100 degrees, steel loses about 50% of its strength. And around 1,800 degrees, it loses 90% of its strength. So in essence, I think that's the issue, is that once the steel got hot enough, then the weight of the building above it, obviously, it collapsed. And then to me, it just started a domino. You know, I think really the first story, the first collapse, if the story below it could have held that, maybe it would have. But once it starts going, you know, dominoes and it's going to come down. You know, that's my two cents on the World Trade Centers, what, what brought them down. And that kind of, to me, debunks the whole jet fuel can't melt steel. So it didn't melt the steel. You got the steel hot enough to collapse. The other things that I've heard that have been interesting to me is that um, the whole building seven, that's an ongoing thing. We talked a little bit about that. There was a fire in that building as well. And it probably the same thing happened there. Um, one of the other things I've heard a lot is that we actually shot down flight 93, which that is not true. Um, the Everything we have and we know about that is that uh, that, that airplane was brought down. Most likely when the, the passengers decided to, hey, we're going to, let's roll and let's get in there. Then the terrorists realize that, you know, we're not gonna make it. And so they just drove the airplane in the ground. One of the things they talk about from that crash is that um, there was a white jet spotted somewhere around the crash. And I researched that. It sounds like that there was an airplane coming into an airport nearby and ATC asked if they wouldn't mind, you know, flying around the wreckage to tell them what they saw. So that was probably a white jet. The other thing that has been brought out there is one of the engines was not in the crash site. And part of my background as an accident investigator is that that's very common, especially if you nosedive an airplane straight in the ground. Engines are the heaviest parts and they typically will bounce out of the 
um, the crash site. So where everything else might just totally embed in there, the engines a lot of times come out. So, um, so those are just a few of the things that uh, I looked at. I saw, you know, I felt like, you know, there, there's plenty of, of answers for what it is. Now I will tell you, and I just talked to somebody recently, they said, well, who is really behind it? I don't know. There's probably, and not to start anything, but there's a good chance, obviously, Saudi Arabia, who knows? I, I wouldn't uh, necessarily debate that there was other players behind it besides just purely ISIS or terrorists. So, but that's, uh, you know, th that's what, at least what I think. So I don't know. Do you guys have anything to add on that? No, no, it's, uh, it sounds pretty, pretty reasonable to me actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, and those are things that, again, I, I know I'm not going to change anybody's mind, but I felt like, uh, um, I felt like, you know, as I read these posts on my, on my post, these comments, I'm like, wow, did really, is there that many people that think that, you know, we totally pulled off this inside job on that. So there's a question here. I'm going to answer one. Of, I heard from an F-16 scramble pilot from DN that they, they only scramble Vipers to flight 93. Uh, but, did never shoot it down. Yeah, and we actually never, my understanding is no fighters ever actually made it to any of the airplanes. Now, a lot of people ask, well, why is that? Well, I said this in my previous uh, podcast, we just weren't prepared for it. We never envisioned that they would take our airplanes against and use them against us. So everything we had from air defense and what we were doing was based was on a conventional enemy. Yeah. An enemy coming over, coming into our country. And we we're prepared for that. Now, as you've seen on my Instagram, there's, there's been a lot of fighters on my wing and all I would say, I, I won't talk about all the details of that, but uh, let's just say we're prepared for it now. And we, we've done what we needed to do to make sure that it never that happens, that again. Ever happens again. So, but they caught us. Uh, they caught us off guard, uh, unfortunately, on that day, and we, you know, we didn't do it. So another popular one that I hear a lot is that witnesses say that the plane going into the Pentagon was actually a cruise missile or looked like a cruise missile. Yeah, that's a great one. The uh, the, the the Pentagon. You know, there's 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 like one uh, scratchy photo or, or video of the airplane coming in. Here's what I would say about that. It looks to me again being an accident investigator is the airplane skipped into the Pentagon. They actually hit the ground just prior to the Pentagon, which probably probably saved a lot because it, it they didn't have the full force in there. So lost a lot of energy. Yep. So um and there there's some pictures out there of pieces of the airplane kind of around the Pentagon. Obviously that airplane disintegrated and you know we lost a lot of lives on that. But Anyway, this is this is the day after that, and that's my post yesterday was all about just remembering it. So, I I had no intention of engaging in all this yesterday. So yeah, that's really it that I've got for nine eleven. Again, I'm sure there's a thousand things out there people want to talk about, but that's the gist of it. The last thing I was going to talk about that kind of rolls into that a little bit, and I had some firsthand experience was TWA eight hundred, and I I made a I made a post on that probably. I don't know, six months ago. And I was surprised at how many people kind of, again, thought that that had been either shot down by a, a terrorist, had a bomb on board, or our Navy accidentally shot it down. As I mentioned in my post, I had the opportunity to go out. I went through the NTSB's uh, school out there, and I had the opportunity to actually go look at that. And they, 
they have put together 95% of that airplane, which is pretty incredible. And the reason they did it is because there was so much outcry that this might have been a terrorist bomb. So they really had the only way you could figure out, you got to think about it, this airplane blew up off the Atlantic, off the coast of the Atlantic, and it was in, I don't know, a couple hundred feet of water. So they ended up, in essence, going down and diving and collecting all of the how long did that recovery take? Oh, I, I don't know the exact amount of time, but it was it was significant. It was very expensive. It you know, and the reason they spin it and did it was to be able to you know ultimately find out what happened. So, I would say going through that, walking that that airplane is pieced together in a hangar, and it is very eerie, very creepy to walk through that because they have a lot of the seats back in place. They have. You know, the metal is obviously it's all you can go out on the Internet and see pictures of it. But it's uh, it's very uh, it's very eerie because you just think, man, there was somebody sitting in that seat. There was somebody there um, and it it was powerful. But what I found out and what, you know, going through that and seeing the evidence with my own eyes was that ultimately they had a they had a an explosion in one of the tanks um, in their center fuel tank. and. You know, there's a lot of evidence to show that. They don't necessarily know what caused the explosion. That's still up for debate, but uh, that's what it looked like is that uh, uh, they ended up having that. It ended up blowing the cockpit off, which is terrible. I think the airplane kept flying for quite some distance and ultimately crashed. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of lot of pieces out there, but it, it's one of those theories. A lot of people can jump in and go, hey, I, and I, I didn't really say this at the first, but I really believe this, that the internet, as maybe I love the internet. It's awesome. It's great for all these things. IG is great, but it gives a platform maybe for people to uh, kind of pull their thoughts mm -hmm. and uh, you know. It, it allows for the easy spread and exchange of ideas. That doesn't mean all those ideas are good or intelligent. Exactly. So maybe we see a lot more <laughs> of that now because of that. So let's see. I got uh, we got a couple questions there. What do we got, Derek? Do we got anything? Hebe Leaky from Instagram. Yeah. Asks, one thing I've heard is how perfect the buildings fell. They didn't fall sideways. They fell straight down. Yeah, that's a great question, Todd. And I, I if you look, though, there, that is, that's a little bit of a misnomer. When you, when you first see the building starting to come down, if you see the top of it, it is canted at about uh, 30 degrees. And there's a good picture out there that shows that. However, because of what actually caused the buildings to come down, i.e. a pancake force, from the inside. From the inside. Once that floors gave way, it, it really was a demolition in essence. It's exactly what they do when they uh, demolish a, a building. They get the structure weak, and that's how they can drop these huge skyscrapers and not have them fall over and damage other buildings. So that probably plays into the conspiracy theory. However, that's in essence what happened. Once it was weakened, it pancaked and and another thing that the pancaking does is it shoots all the debris out the side so when you see it begin to come down you see all that debris coming out again that looks like a uh, a controlled an explosion, explosion controlled explosion that plays into it but in reality what it is is as the floor above falls onto the floor below there's no place for that stuff to go and it just gets squirted out the sides of the building so so yeah good question i i think that's what happened i mean it did fall pretty much both of them uh, straight down, but uh, again, the way I the way I see it, it doesn't necessarily uh, play into the fact that we that we blew that up. So, well, I think that's enough on this one, Derek. What do mm -hmm. you think? We'll uh, we'll wrap the 
this podcast up. Uh, before we wrap up this first segment, I would like to give a shout out to our first sponsor of the podcast, which is very exciting, Strike Force Energy. If you're tired of energy drinks and the cost of energy drinks, be sure to check out Strike Force Energy. Come in little single-use tin pouches or a 60-ounce squirt bottle. It tastes delicious. You get all of the effects of a monster, and it only costs about 99 cents uh, per packet, which is a lot better. You can put it in water, drinks, soda. I believe on their bottles, they also have various alcohol mixtures you can mix <laughs> with it as well. Be sure to use code COMBATLEARJET, one word, at strikeforceenergy.com. You receive 20% off and to help support this podcast. Before we wrap this up, would everyone like to give their social media handles for our listeners to go and find you? Yeah, awesome for me. So yeah, I'm on uh, Combat Learjet, obviously on Instagram and on Facebook. So you can Google that, find it. Mike, if you want to share yours. Yeah, sure. I'm uh, at Pilot Wagner on Instagram and uh, just Mike Wagner on Facebook. And uh, I believe I'm like Mike Wagner 23 on YouTube or something. Just uh, actually just it's easier to just Google my videos and you'll find me a lot easier on YouTube. Definitely worth checking out his videos on YouTube. Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.